Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, January 8th, 2023. Now, this show will actually go live on Tuesday, January 10th. My brother Peter's 62nd birthday, by the way, so happy birthday to him. But it's also, Drew, the third anniversary of the debut of Owl House on Disney Channel. That went live back on January 10th, 2020. Also, the second special episode of Season 3 of Owl House. Uh, remember this back in, what was it, October of 2021, Owl House creator Dana Terrace revealed that this animated series was not exactly canceled, but the third season had been transformed into three special episodes well, that were each going to be like 45 minutes long. Largely because the powers that be at the Mouse House felt that the Owl House wasn't on brand when it came to the the Disney Channel. That's so funny. I mean, I don't know if you see on Twitter, but people are always sharing like the most horrifying things from Owl House clips and things of, you know, her getting her head cut <laughs> off and creatures and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, this show is so cool and it's such a shame that it is mm-hmm. not going forward because... Gravity Falls was weird and dark, too, and, you know. Well, no, I was just about to say that. I mean, I do not understand why it is that a show like that gets celebrated. But again, that ended after two seasons, right? And so here, we well, we get a little more than two seasons. We get two seasons and three special episodes. And in fact, the reason we bring up the second special episode of season three of Owl House that debuts on the Disney Channel uh, Saturday, January 21st. And Dana actually put up the poster that promotes this episode on social media on Thursday of this week, January 5th. So be sure to check that out. Beyond that, Drew, how was the first week of the new year for you? It was, you know, it was back to running around like a madman. Um, Mm -hmm. But I hope Aaron feels better. Um, I know we kind of had a little gap in our schedule because he came down with the the COVID, which I think I have you have you had it yet, Jim? It's been playing whack a mole with Nancy and my immediate circle of friends that you just mentioned, Aaron. We had two friends who came back from the Midwest, spending the holiday with their grandparents who who just came down with it, and this variant really seems to be coming on strong. But so far. Knock wood, we're lucky, but I, I guess the thing that concerns me the most is that these folks that, that we know who've come down with it are all up to date with their vaccines, and this variant just sort of laughs at the vaccine, I guess. Yeah, I read a horrifying thing about how you, if you've had it, you'll get reinfected. If you haven't had it, you're going to get it soon, so... <laughs> Lovely, Something to look lovely. forward to, Jim, you know. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, well, by the way, folks, when we were recording our last fine tuning, we ended with you headed out the door to check out Super Nintendo World over at Universal Studios. And if you hang in there, folks, uh, second half of today's show, Drew's going to share what he saw there. But first, the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network for a worry-free travel experience every time. Please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, back to the week's news. Drew, we've talked about uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, quite a bit on the show. 
Debuted in theaters back on December 21st, sequel to 2011's Puss in Boots. Got great reviews, uh, has a 96% uh, freshness rating over Rotten Tomatoes, audience score of 93. And do you remember hearing that the, the original scuttlebutt on this, this Joel Crawford movie is that it it wouldn't be available for streaming till 45 days later? That, that would have been Friday, February 3rd? That did not happen. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, over the 2002 holiday season, only pulled in 77 million domestic, 73 million overseas, worldwide total box office of 51 million uh, to date. Mind you, it's number three at the box office this weekend, behind Avatar, The Way of Water, and Megan, but it also just popped up on Amazon Prime Videos in theater movies at home this past Friday, January 6th, just three weeks and three days after that Joel Crawford movie first arrived in theaters. The thinking was that as of Tuesday, January 3rd, the kids were back in school. And since Amazon Prime Video is charging $29.95 to purchase Puss in Boots, uh, The Last Wish, I want to say there's a, a lower fee for just to rent it. The feeling was this was where the big money was going to be for the DreamWorks animation film from this point forward. Charging a premium to the people who didn't want to go out to theaters to see this highly praised animated feature. And, and in fact, I'm told that the resurgence of COVID did also play a factor in like, let's get this over to Amazon Prime Video as quickly as possible. But the whole notion is that people wanted to be able to watch Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, in the safety and the comfort of their own home. And Drew, just an aside here, when you were over at Universal Studios Hollywood Sunday last, right? Yes, correct. Or, or uh, it, was, it, it was during the week. It was like Wednesday or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Did you see much of anything there? I mean, normally for a Universal release, and that's what the DreamWorks animation film is, they do a fairly good job at the studio sort of hyping the latest film. Did, did you see anything on your way down to Super Nintendo World? Well, or? I was kind of going backstage, but I do know that there was a really cute Puss in Boots like milk bar where you, oh. they had uh, exclusive kind of milkshakes, uh, Cafe Con Leche and another one that were kind of themed to different characters. And I also know that the walk around character was hanging out sort of around the DreamWorks theater in the mm -hmm. upper lot. But I wanted to talk about the price point, Jim, and I also wanted to talk about the other reason it's on digital, which is, so the, thir okay. the $30 is a lot for sure, mm -hmm. but yep. I think it's that much because you have parents factoring in, okay, we had, I'm taking three kids to the movies, how much popcorn mm -hmm. is that, how many ICs am I buying, and when you add that all up, $30 oh, no, seems no, no. pretty good, no. right? This past weekend, I've been trying to catch up on things. In fact, Nancy and I finally sat down and watched Disney's Strange World this past Friday night. And, and by the way, Drew and I will wade into that film uh, on a future uh, fine-tuning. But I was also thinking over this weekend that, you know, yeah, I, I would really like to finally watch Puss in Boots. Because, uh, again, a friend of the show, Jim Schul, saw it this past weekend and said he really, really enjoyed it. And It's amazing. It's really, really Well, great. a lot of people have said it's a great film. And so the whole notion of to look at the $30 price point and, and the very thing you were talking about, it's like, well, if I factor in what I'll spend on gas and what it'll cost to actually buy 
movie tickets and yes my eight dollar soda you know yeah. it's just sort of, hey, no it, 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 the math works it's like even at that price point and what are the point you own the movie at that price point yeah well the other thing is that and th- i'm very keyed up into this because of you know mm-hmm. i'm out here but mm-hmm. you know there's been a, a theory for a long time that mm-hmm. even if you send out screeners if the movie is on home video or some kind of mm-hmm. home video platform, Academy voters are much more likely to see it. And so oh. they are really, they really want a best animated feature Oscar nomination. I think that everybody knows that Pinocchio is kind of the one to beat with maybe turning red a close second, but DreamWorks really wants that nomination. And just the amount of kind of, casual exposure that voters can get to it. Even if they're not sitting down to watch it, you know, their kids having it on or whatever really increases that likelihood of, you know, getting a nomination. And I think they they figured this out, I think in 2009 when Inglorious Bastards came out in theaters in August and on home video in December. And they were like, oh, this was really helped just by being on home video at the time that people are are watching this stuff. So that's the other factor in the uh, maybe somewhat early paid VOD, you know, release. And it's not on Peacock yet, so it's not technically no, 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 no. no that's a, in fact, I wanted to be clear that that you know that's why I was wanted to stress Amazon Prime Video. But, but by the way, folks, that's a great insight, and only somebody who's actually out in LA would get that. That said, though, one of the other factors here is the success of animated features like The Sea Beast. That was Netflix's sixth most popular English language movie for all of 2022. And that has changed the game as well. Toward that end, though, earlier this week on January 6th, it was revealed that Netflix had just signed Williams to develop two new projects for that streaming service. One of these is going to be a sequel to The Sea Beast, which I I have to admit, I'll I'll be interested to see where that story picks up from. But also, he's been signed to do another original fantasy for Netflix. So have you talked with Chris at all about this? No, I sent him a note, you know, kind of jokingly saying, I can't believe you let The Hollywood Reporter break this news. But, (laughs) um, you know, what's interesting when you read it is it sounds Mm -hmm. like he was in development on this other project, Mm -hmm. which will be co-directed by the CB's head of story. And okay. it sounds like it is kind of, it's kind of a um, irreverent fan, original fantasy movie. And then, you know, the numbers started coming in for Sea Beast. And mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this before. It is the most watched Netflix original animated movie ever. And, Ooh, I, okay. you know, <laughs> and I think they started going... You know, the Sea Beast is really popular. If you wanted to do a sequel for that one, you might want to think about that now. So he actually has kind of put the other one on pause or maybe is developing it concurrently, but is now mm-hmm. shifted over to Sea Beast, something that he did not even think about. But he mm-hmm. said, you know, thinking about the end of the movie and where the characters end up, that he mm-hmm. he could see a future for this this property. And I'm very excited because I thought the first one was great. It's a great film, but at the same time, there's that famous story about 
the Lion King, you know, to the effect of you had Timon, you had this tiny little character who had to constantly interact with characters who were much bigger than he was. And wasn't this also, you know, one of the things that supposedly defeated Gigantic at Disney? You know, the whole notion of it just became hard over the course of working on that movie to figure out how to have a, a normal-sized teenage boy as Jack and then, what, a, a 60-foot-tall preteen girl as, you know, these were the two stars of the, the storyline. Also the original just, version of Good Dinosaur. That's it, exactly. Think about how many of the scenes in The Sea Beast basically involve that tiny little girl standing in front of the eye of the red. I want, I, I'm blanking the name of Yeah, the, red. The, the, red is the name of the, yeah. So it's just sort of like, you know, you you almost have to feel for Chris Williams and the folks who are going back in to board this because, I, you know, I would imagine they used every staging trick in the book to make those tiny characters work with that giant, almost kaiju-sized character. And it's like, hey, <laughs> we're headed back, guys. Break out your pencils. we got to figure out how to stage all new scenes involving these teeny tiny characters and this giant monster. Yeah, I mean, I think it helps that they didn't, have to talk to each other oh that's an excellent you know point. I, wow yeah okay. and i i'm so excited to see where it goes I, I thought you know to me when i watched sea beast i was like oh you, you could have made good dinosaur in the original way but when i talked to peter stone about it one time he said mm-hmm. you know that original version was like if you were talking to a bee for the whole movie <laughs> you know it was like it just did not it did not work. But, um, oh, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Okay. Well, moving on here, folks. Okay, so we were just talking about the sequel to The Sea Beast. And speaking of sequels, Drew, you, you broke some news just this past week in regard to Pixar's Inside Out. I, mind you, it's kind of sad news. And by the way, it's it has disgusting nothing to news, do... Jim. Disgusting. Is that what I there would say? There we go. Yeah. Okay. So please reveal wh- what you learned. Well, I was on the phone with uh, Mindy Colling uh, for Velma, which comes out mm-hmm. this week and is really, really great. I've got to say mm-hmm. before we get into okay. it. I don't know if we're talking about it later in the show, but it's no, great. No, no, no. In fact, I sculpted the show notes. So you, we go straight from, okay. from you chatting chatting about this to, to talk about Velma. Well, I will, so. I will button that up for now. But I said, you know, I was on the phone there and I said, I have to ask you. You know, you're you're talking about this animated show. You're kind of an animated legend. Mm-hmm. Are you coming back for Inside Out 2? Mm-hmm. And she confirmed that she was not coming back for Inside Out 2. And the rumor has been from our, our mm-hmm. friend uh, Matt Bellany that it was some kind of, um, you know, contract dispute over compensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she just said, you know, I'm sure it'll be great. I'm not involved. That's kind of it. Okay, but okay, I, it's it is sad. I don't know. I mean, if if she if Riley's a teenager now, you know, I think disgust is maybe her primary emotion at that age. Well, yeah, you know, and well, didn't they tease at the D twenty three Expo this past time around? Lots of new emotions. Yes. Okay, so I have trouble picturing a teenage girl who who can't be disgusted. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what new. I mean. The big question is obviously, are they going to like bro? Is lust going to be an emotion or something? You know, they're going to have okay. to figure out how to do that in a fun way. And I feel like Turning Red showed that you could deal with that kind of stuff in a True. Pixar movie. But True. 
I don't know. It's there are a lot of, a lot of questions before twenty twenty four. This is true. This is true. Now, now to circle back to Velma, which again debuts on HBO Max this week, Thursday, January twelfth. Kind of a fun reinvention of this character, right? Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that all of the characters are completely different, and I was really impressed because obviously the log line is you know. Mm-hmm. It's an R-rated Scooby-Doo, yuck, yuck, yuck. You know, there'll be mm-hmm. violence and sex and that'll mm-hmm. be it. But what really impressed me was how into these characters the show goes. And one of the big mysteries is Velma's mother has abandoned her a year earlier. And so that kind of like, that both, you know, feeds her addiction to mystery solving, but also has mm-hmm. become a huge problem because, you know, it's a mystery she just can't figure out. Mm-hmm. Daphne is a, uh, is adopted by two women and she is uh you know Asian background and so that's a mm-hmm. whole can of worms and and Fred is is in early episodes convicted for a series of gruesome murders and his character <laughs> is really interesting cuz he's a rich kid and Jimmy okay. will appreciate that Fred Welker is back mm-hmm. as Fred's father. Oh, I don't that, know. Was, he's like in his late seventies now, and he's our, he's still recording. Cow. So yeah. Oh, that is so great to hear. Yeah. Wow. But okay. the, the voice cast is great. It's really more sophisticated than you uh, you probably imagine. And also Shaggy, who is voiced by mm-hmm. the great Sam Richardson, who is also like the nicest man alive. He's straight edge in this one. Jim does not touch the stuff. So I will be interesting to see Shaggy become the Shaggy that we know and love. But and the other thing I think we we probably need to tee up here: there is no Great Dane, right? No, no, yeah, no Scooby Doo, and not not yet. I think I've watched the first five or so episodes, but mm. there's a lot of great TV coming on. It's sort of like how many episodes can I squeeze in tonight? that I don't have to watch for an interview tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it, it's, it gets yeah. down to kind of a, you know, it's like a three-dimensional chess over here. But it's really, really special. The team at, at Warner has has done a great job. The animation is beautiful, done by a Korean studio that really kind mm-hmm. of embraces its kind of Korean art mm-hmm. background. And I just love it. I think it's really, really great. So... I think first Ooh, two episodes I, I, are this week, and then uh, episodes weekly mm-hmm. after that on HBO Max. So, all right, I will I'll go out of my way to check this out. Oh, I, well, we were obviously just talking about Mindy Colling no longer being uh, the voice of disgust. But speaking of actors who are voicing characters for upcoming Pixar films, did you see this list that popped up online for Elemental uh, that featured additional? members of the cast and supposedly SCTV legend Catherine O'Hara though I, you know most people today know Catherine O'Hara from her wonderful performances Myra Rose on Shit's Creek also Nightmare Before Christmas Jim she's been a, an amazing voice actor there so again this is a woman who you know you love from animation but she's supposedly voicing Brooke who is supposed to be playing Wade's mother in this Peter Song movie, had you heard anything? I mean, I didn't. I saw that list, and I told TJ, our buddy from Pixar Post, I said, "You need to reach out to Pixar before you post this, so you can actually get confirmation, <laughs> so that it's not mm-hmm. just like look at these names." Um, yeah, and I don't okay. know if he he actually did that, but mm-hmm. I mean, what's striking about that list and about the two main characters is they really went. This is not, you know. 
Brad Pitt in Sinbad territory, or dare I say mm-hmm. it, you know, Chris <laughs> Pratt and Tom Holland and, and onward. I mean, these are mm-hmm. a bunch of very talented, but not super well-known actors mm-hmm. uh, besides Catherine O'Hara. So I think mm-hmm. it's kind of an interesting approach and maybe a an answer to some of these things that have so many celebrity voices. I don't know. I, what did you think about that? I'm solidly in Peter's corner. I could still remember, you know, Nancy and I drove down to New York, you know, for a very, very early thing on Good Dinosaur. And they showed us a couple of clips, but they particularly showed the the scene by the river at night where, you know, the first time the two characters communicated and afterwards we went up to Peter and it was like that's a movie this is actually a movie and he almost burst into tears they had been working on this thing for so long and it's oh my god thank you for saying that so I really want this movie to work and if that this is something that Peter wanted to do to you I mean again use in a weird sort of way it's kind of a throwback to back when Howard Ashman was casting Little Mermaid and and Beauty and the Beast and the whole notion of, no, I need Broadway actors. This is a musical. I need Broadway actors. And this is a story basically about young people becoming adults. And for that idea, you needed needed just the right voices. You needed people who actually sounded like young people. So it's a bold choice. And again, I really, really, really want this movie to work. Speaking, though, of Elemental, did you see the photo that popped up earlier this week where it was, uh, the image was described as an end of animation party being held up on the Emeryville campus? And in fact, they mentioned that kind of in honor of the sort of the water fire aesthetic of Elemental that, you know, a lot of folks were standing around fire pits and on, uh, on the Pixar campus. In the rain, probably, considering the weather well, that we've been having the past couple of weeks. Probably true. Yeah, I did see those true. photos. I think end of animation means end of character animation, not end of effects no. and compositing and lighting and Thank all you. that. Thank you. Because face it, there is a lot of work that has yet to be done before this film finally hits theaters on January 16th of this year. But also... Speaking of things that popped up online that that maybe people would need a little clarification on, did you see that final frame image that got posted from Nimona? Yes, I did. This animated feature started off life at Blue Sky Studios. They were adapting Andy Stevenson's graphic novel to the screen. Disney acquires certain film elements from Fox back in March of 2019. Then in February of 2021, Disney announces it would be shuttering Blue Sky Studios and then scuttling the, what was it? It was 75% complete, right? That, that's what we heard about Nimona? That was the story. So, yeah, keep going. But mm-hmm. then I'll, I'm going to ask you some questions that I still have about this movie. Okay. But go ahead. Okay. So anyway, we jump ahead to April of 2022. It's then announced that Andapuran Pictures has revived the project with DNEG feature animation taking over production. And it's now the film is set as a 2023 release for Netflix. And beyond that, you know, we had that first piece of art that showed what the look of the animated version, blue sky version of this was going to be. And then was kind of interesting to, it's basically the same pose. Yeah. It's the same rigging. It looks like too. 
That's it exactly. But again, it's clearly been futz with chains, finessed. Um, but what do we know beyond that about Nimona? I mean, we know that Chloe Grace Mortimer is, uh, is voicing the, the title character. And then we have Riz Ahmed voicing Blackheart, the not-so-villainous villain of this piece. And they were from the Blue Sky version. They were. Yeah. They were. Yeah. But beyond that, do we have even a ballpark date on when this is showing up on Netflix? I, I can tell you. Does everyone oh. does everyone want to know? This will I be do. this will be out on in the summer of twenty twenty three. Is that, that oh, yeah. So cool. it, we are All closer right. than you think to Nimona. That's great. That's great. So the question I have is just sort of like, yeah, like what are the logistics? Um the movie is no longer directed by the original filmmaker, but two Blue Sky directors slash animators took over. I just wonder, are the, did, did the assets just get sent to DNEG and they're, you know, finishing them? I, I don't know. It, it's really an interesting question, especially since it's coming out so soon. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's interesting is that, you know, that DreamWorks has been utilizing, I don't know how many people know this or not, but they've been using mm-hmm. animators in Greenwich. Mm-hmm. For Puss in Boots and bad guys that are from Blue Sky, and I don't know if they're actually like if they're just if they're still in the building, oh, or if they have gone home wow. and they are just you know working for DreamWorks. I did not know that. That's intriguing. Yeah. Okay. The- does somebody out there want to share with the audience? Yeah, please tell us what that arrangement is like. I think Pierre told me that for when I was talking to him about bad guys. Obviously, there's so many animated projects in the works. It makes sense to utilize these people who were best in craft. And Think about how many people during the pandemic... I mean, I had no choice. They worked from home. And so the whole notion of even if they're not in the physical Blue Sky studio in Greenwich anymore, to turn to these artists and go, okay, you're working from home. These are the scenes we'd love you to do. These are the characters you'd Ooh, I really like that. Yeah, it's really nice. And, you know, I, you've been to you've been to the Blue Sky studio before, right, Jim? Sadly, no. Oh. I remember the team talking about, was it the first studio where they had the clear line of sight on the towers for 9-11 oh god probably yeah then they moved to the new facility uh in greenwich and it was always one of these things hey you gotta come down you gotta come down and i kept kicking the can and then there was no place to come down to anymore but it's nice that they're still working and you know i I feel like dean egg probably has employed a lot of the same animators and designers and things because you're right. That that still looks almost exactly like it the does, still from a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, and I gotta tell, gotta tell you, having I so enjoyed the N.D. Stevenson graphic novel, I cannot wait to see what an animated feature based on on which story elements they keep, which story elements get tossed. But it, it's a great story. And same thing. But oh, cool! Summer of, of two thousand. So I think that that means that you know the other big Netflix animated movie this year is Chicken Run: Dawn of the Nugget. I think that mm-hmm. will be their kind of maybe a more awards play. So I think you're looking at that closer to the holidays next year. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Or this year. Sorry. This year. It's still coming. It's still coming. Yeah. Well, and speaking of things that are coming, uh, there's a new animated series debuting on Hulu. Well, yesterday, they <laughs> debuted a new Hulu yesterday, and we're talking about Koala Man. You've seen a couple of these? or I haven't. I was supposed to go to the—they kind of had a premiere party this week, but 
Mm-hmm. I've kind of been more conservative about the things I'm going to because of said COVID outbreak. But the trailer looks hilarious. I mean, it's from the people that brought you Smiling Friends, and it is executive produced by Justin Roiland. So that speaks to the level of insanity that the show looks like it's going to bring. Just the conceit here is that he follows the adventures of Kevin, a middle-aged dad with a secret identity, but no superpowers, that he's looking to stomp out crime, petty crime in the, the town of Dapto, and his idea of petty crime is the people who don't put out recyclables on the right day. So, you know, it sounds like kind of an interesting show. But then there's all these crazy creatures and things that show up and he has to actually spring into action. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But you saw that like Hugh Jackman is in it and Hugo Weaving and all these people. Yeah. Do you remember when uh, Brad Bird was talking about working on Incredibles 2? And how, you know, he, he mentioned, you know, well, you got to remember when we were working on the original Incredibles back in 2006, there hadn't been a whole lot of superhero projects. And then by the time it came around to doing Incredibles 2, he, he talked about how there wasn't an untrumped blade of grass on the playing field, you know, trying to find something new and different to do it was really, really hard. I feel like Koala Man kind of leads into that. It's like, okay, how can we do this superhero thing different than everybody else? Yeah. It looks like it'll be fun, though. I'm I'm excited, especially because okay. I, speaking of thing, animated things that I caught up on during the break, is we watched season six of Rick and Morty, finally, which I was very impressed by. So I am ready to see more Justin Roiland orchestrated madness on television. And, and speaking of things that Drew has seen, that also includes Super Nintendo World. And when we get back from this break, Mr. Taylor is going to talk about uh, what he saw on the lower lot of Universal Studios Hollywood this past week. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Super Nintendo World. This is the first American version. There's a second version being prepped for Epic Universe in Florida, uh, which won't open to 2025. But the original was built at, at Universal Studios Japan and opened at that theme park in Osaka back in March of 2021. How familiar are, are you with Super Mario and, and, and those characters and the like? I'm, I'm very, I mean, I was the right age when the first Nintendo, you know, home entertainment system came out. So I have been... Okay literally growing up beside Mario and you know I obviously looked at the when the Japan park opened I watched all the videos and everything and and why I think that this land really pertains to this show is Mm -hmm. you know as we were going through it John Corvino Mm -hmm. who is a universal creative executive one of the only ones left by the way Jim I should say that um (laughs) I'm honestly shocked they let me in the door after breaking that news but anyway he said I've seen the animated movie and this this land is pretty close so that connection is also there 
And mm-hmm. you've brought up, Jim, how, how close the movie and the land are opening to one another. The land is, is February 17th, and the Super Mario movie is, is April, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I wonder where they're going to hold the junket for the movie. I, I, I have no clue. <laughs> Those universal people, they're so mysterious. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. So this is still kind of a construction site, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm shocked they didn't make us wear a hard hat. There was, you know, I was listening to my audio as I was writing it up, and it was like, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, I will say that, you know, it's Mm -hmm. in the lower lot. It's in between what they call Jurassic Alley, which is where the Isla New Bar is, Mm -hmm. um, and Transformers. But Mm -hmm. man, going through that, that warp pipe, and mm-hmm. oh, it opening up into this kind of vast mm-hmm. land is pretty amazing. It's a pretty wow moment. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, there's not a ton to do in the land, you know, it's a pretty dazzling kind of reveal. It's kind of like going through the, you know, the tunnel and then you open it up to mm-hmm. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And then you really realize there's nothing to do there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> By the way, folks, Drew wrote a wonderful article over at the wrap that, that, that includes some images of land. You really got to go check it out. But you really leaned into talking about the power up bands and how the very thing that Disney initially promised with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge about that level of interaction, Super Nintendo World actually does. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I know that you and you and Len were talking about this, about like, do you need it? Do you, you know, and I, I think you absolutely do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think you can actually buy them starting now at, a two, as of two days ago, you could buy them at, at, at CityWalk. Um, oh, okay. But there is an amazing level of interaction and, mm. you know, your, your kind of progress does follow you around. There's four sort of challenges and there's all sorts of, uh, different touch points and then there's kind of a boss battle um, mm-hmm. with the band but you know all the things that they promised about Galaxy's Edge is actually going to happen like when you do your meet and greet with the characters mm-hmm. they will actually refer to your progress in the land oh. and what's also cool that I loved about it is that mm-hmm. it's an amiibo do you know what an amiibo is Jim? I've heard that name Okay, uh. so it's a little they're kind of it's kind of a Disney Infinity esque thing where they're little That's figures. Exactly, I I saw them at Target. Yes, you see like them at Target. They're, they're, yes. Okay. So they're mm-hmm. about ten bucks or whatever, and and you put them on your Switch, and they unlock mm-hmm. things in certain games. Mm-hmm. And okay. so the Power Band is a disc shaped thing, and you can actually, when you bring it home, put it mm-hmm. on your Switch, and it will mm-hmm. unlock things. I'm assuming in in a Mario game, um, which is very cool, and I thought was a really fun kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, practical way to do it. And I, mm-hmm. the, the thing I didn't write about in the article that I wanted to touch base with you, because I know that you saw the same patents, is that on top of the, I forget what they call it, there's kind of a, you know, mountain that you can walk mm-hmm. up. And there yep. are sort of periscopes that you can look out that are AR augmented. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there are animated things going on in that. As you sort of, you can look out across the whole land, but there are things in there that are, you know, in the actual viewfinder that are very cool. That, this is not new technology. I mean, when I was in Dubai, I don't know how many years mm-hmm. ago, 10 years ago or so, 
Mm-hmm. There was similar technology at the top of the Burj, but it's very cool to see it sort of have this have these characters and and the amount of animatronics and things that I don't know how mm-hmm. they're going to keep up with this stuff, Jim. Because I was looking at it going, God, this is going to like fade. It's going to be like Toontown, the Toontown mm-hmm. Hills. It's going to just mm-hmm. fade so quickly. But it's mm-hmm. a really impressive amount of animatronics just in the land. And also, you know, when you're doing these challenges, there's different levels of of challenge too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a really interesting kind of conceit for something like that. So right now, in fact, you you mentioned the whole Jurassic Alley thing. I mean, face it, you have to come down off of the lower lot, get on the Starcade, come down that, march over to this thing, which obviously is going to be super popular. And, and literally thousands of people are going to enter Universal and just charge down that hill to do this. What do you think they're going to do about capping capacity i mean if everybody comes charging down the starcade to do this is there area outside of this thing where they can have people queue up or weren't they having annual pass holders try to to register for early dates and actually had some issues with the website in regard to that yeah and i think also cast member previews too there or crew member previews i should Mm -hmm. say they were having some Mm -hmm. issues with people signing up I mean, you know that area, Jim. You've been to HHN down there. Yeah. It is not yeah. forgiving in terms of space, you know, and, and I wonder, yeah, I don't know how they're going to deal with it because especially that area of the park is so narrow, you mm-hmm. know, at least Simps- mm-hmm. where Simpsons is on the upper lot, there's some space, but. No, 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 definitely. And Harry Potter right next to the Simpsons, which is right next to, you know, where people go down and do the tram tour. I mean, that that whole section of the park just eats people. I really want this to succeed, and I think you actually enjoy how your your piece with the rap ends because you you get them to not talk about the Donkey Kong expansion that that is you know being bandied about, right? It's like I mean, as far as I know, that Donkey Kong expansion is like in the works right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea, from what I understand, and I don't know if you've heard the same thing, Jim, is that Mm -hmm. the Hollywood and the Epic Mm -hmm. Universe versions are almost going to open simultaneously. That seems to be what I'm hearing as well. But that means you still have to get through your first two years of operations where one of the reasons that Disney bought Star Wars was because when Universal set up The Wizarding World of Harry Potter, when it did that licensing deal with J.K. Rowling and Warner Brothers, Disney had to come up with some sort of response because Harry Potter, Butterbeer, you know, they didn't have anything like that. So... Well, well, first, actually, they made the deal with James Cameron to get the, the Avatar rights. And then nine months later, they, they made the deal with George Lucas. And they have nothing that they feel can match the appeal of Super Nintendo World. You know, that, that, the very thing you were talking about at the, the top of the segment. You grew up with Mario. There are now people who game with their children. And, you know, and it's just the whole notion of, oh, my God, we get to go through the warp pipe and we get to go to visit Mario. Yeah. And the ride, the ride was not finished when we were there or or at least ready for us. But the ride technology seems genuinely new. You know, it's it, it's still a, a dark ride in some respects. But the fact that you wear a helmet that your goggles hook into and you know the other thing about the power band thing is that it's recording your your success on 
the ride and actually when you when you go back to the ride and you hit it with the same power band it will actually be a more challenging experience on the ride too which is i think very cool um but feels new you know like i have not ridden mickey and minnie's yet but it's a dark ride it's got projections it's you know we've seen it before you know this feels actually new in a way that uh some of the disney stuff has not you know so i'm i'm excited toward that end though you and i are both fans of paul ruddish what he's done with the, the the mickey shorts and i have to say what kevin rafferty did to bring that version of mickey into the parks with runaway railway this is a literally a laugh out loud ride drew i mean again can't wait to get you your first take you know to hear what you think after you you get to ride the anaheim version but it's a genuinely funny ride and yes it makes use of projection and yes it's trackless vehicles similar to rise of the resistance but it's still a hugely funny ride but what universal has done with Super Nintendo World and what potentially, you know, is just over the horizon with Donkey Kong and, and what that will do to give people who are charging down the staircase to the lower lot things to do. The wild card here is what happens when the Super Mario uh, movie comes out, which, by the way, every trailer I've seen for that, every clip I've seen for that looks great. Yeah, that movie is going to be huge. Like, I don't think people understand how big that movie is going to be. You know, it's going to be amazing. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. The thing I wonder, too, Jim, you know, you talk about the crowds is like, are you going to want to sit and do this thing where you, you know, try to sneak past a sleeping piranha plant or whatever? If you have to stand Mm -hmm. in line for 90 minutes or something, you know, I mean, the, the land seems very casual in the in the ways that you explore and interact with these challenges. So I wonder if the absolutely insane crowds are going to <laughs> to impede that sense of discovery in the land itself. As popular as this is going to be when it opens on February 17th. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, February 17th of this year. But imagine what this is going to be like after the Super Mario movie oh my opens. And, and by the way, we, I finally have the date, April 7th. 2023 and as long as we're talking about movies that people are very much anticipating uh, opening in 2023 i w- would be remiss if we did not touch base on mission impossible dead reckoning <laughs> part one which is july 14th 2023 and you can learn all sorts of cool things about this film if you listen to drew's other podcast which is light the fuse what are you and Charles up to this week? Uh, this week, I believe we are talking to James Mather, who is a supervising sound designer. That's the other thing about mm-hmm. the show, is we talk to every single person in the production. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is fascinating. He he worked on Top Gun and uh, Fallout and is working on the next two. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you might hear, not us, in the next mm-hmm. Mission Impossible, somewhere in the mix, but you might hear one of our dogs in the explosion in something we have sent in the audio files we hope we hope that rusty and nova make it in to mission impossible 7 somewhere 
and then a helicopter so cool. rotor or something. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Nova may become the next Wilhelm scream. That's true. <laughs> well, all right. Now, speaking of, of podcasts, you, you, you might want to consider listening to. We've got uh, Disney Dish I do with Len Testa. Uh, we have Marvelous Disney, uh, which I do with Aaron Adams. And in fact, later today, I will be recording a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gaughan. By the way, uh, Mr. Taylor, in addition to uh, his wonderful Light Diffuse podcast, uh, also regularly posts entertaining and informative things on social media. And uh, where can they find you, Drew? Drew Taylor, like a tailored shirt. I'm still on Twitter. I'll be going down with the ship and uh, on mm-hmm. Instagram as well. What about you, Jim? Where can people find you? I... I, too, am still on the deck of the, the, the Twitter-shaped Titanic. I, I was just arranging deck chairs earlier this week. Um, I, also, you can find us on Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And that, folks, is going to do it for this week. Uh, on behalf of Mr. Taylor, thank you for listening. But that will do it for now, and we will be back soon.